morning church family. Trying to recover a little bit. You guys get to sit there. I have to I get to preach right now. Gotta miss you. Gotta miss you. Gonna miss you so much. We're finishing up our short sermon series called The Father's Heart. This is part two of, of a two-part series. And we've been preaching out of Third John. We're going to be focusing on Third John, verse nine, verses 9 through 15. And the series title has been titled, Investing into the Kingdom. And how appropriate, as we heard from some of our missionaries today, about investing into the kingdom. This is the Father's heart. And investing into the kingdom is an investment into people. People that we send out, people that we minister to. The kingdom was about, is about people. And the kingdom, investing in the kingdom is like cultivating and taking care of a garden. Why do, you, why do I say that? A garden has many things that the gardener needs to take care of. Sometimes there's rodents, boars, Insects and pests that feed off the garden, and the gardener needs to take care of that. In the kingdom, sometimes there are difficult people that need to be addressed. People who are trying to create division, people who are abusive. In the garden, plants and, 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 and trees, and the things that we want to cultivate need to be watered and fertilized and taken care of. In the kingdom, we need to encourage role models and those who are bearing much fruit and, and encourage them and, and to send them out in a worthy manner. So we're talking about people today, but there's going to be a lot of analogy with taking care of a garden today as well. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Third John. We're going to read the whole chapter, just 15 verses, but we're going to preach on the second half, 9 through 15. It's towards the end of the Bible, and if you've gone to Revelation, you went too far. So 3 John is a letter written by the Apostle John, a personal letter written to a man named Gaius. It's kingdom work is about people, brothers and sisters. So please rise with me. We do this to honor God's Word. This is a treasure. God's Word is worth more than thousands of pieces of silver and gold, the Bible says. More precious than fine gold. And this is a treasure that we have in our hands. Third John, I'll be reading out of the NASB version. Verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore we, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Verse 9. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first 
among them does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does evil is, the one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received the good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly and we will speak face to face. Verse 15. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for your love, Father, that you're showing to Gaius and to all of us through John's writing. I pray that your spirit will help us to see your heart more, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. The series has been focusing on the Father's heart. And really, we were able to see six facets or six dimensions of the Father's heart. Last week, we preached on the Father's heart has a special love for his children. We're called beloved. Then we focused in on how the Father's heart is concerned about our spiritual health, soul prosperity. And thirdly, we learned that the Father's heart is a sacrificial love. He gave up his only, one and only son for you and me, Christians. So for today, we're going to focus on four, five, and six on the Father's heart. And when we say the Father's heart, if you're visiting, we're talking about God, God himself. Preaching is about knowing God more so that you will love him more, so that you'll trust him more. And just so you can follow along a little bit easier, a little bit of road uh, signs along the way on our journey today, The Father's heart cares about spiritual protection. The Father's heart cares about spiritual affirmation. And thirdly and finally, the Father's heart cares about spiritual relationships. Relationships. Point number one, the Father's heart, spiritual protection, covered through verses 9 through 10. Verse 9 says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes. Who's this Diotrephes? Who's this character that shows up in the, in this letter? There's all these names and who is this Diotrephes? Well, he was probably some kind of a leader in Gaius's church, a prominent member of Gaius's church, maybe even an elder of Gaius's church. But who is Diotrephes? Let's just keep reading. John continues to write, who loves to be first? who loves to be first among them and does not accept what we say. Diotrephes is about himself. He wants to be lifted up. And he, does, he rejects the apostle Paul's authority. He rejects what he has to say. He's not submitted. He's rogue. He does what he wants. He doesn't do what authority tells him to do. But he does what he wants to do. Verse 10, for this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds. What, what, what are his deeds? Which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words or nonsense. Some of your versions may say, he is a gossiper. He's a usurper talking bad about leadership. This is Diotrephes. What else does he do, John? 
And he's not satisfied with this. He takes it another step. He doesn't, not, he doesn't receive the brethren. The brethren is talking about traveling preachers, missionaries. He rejects supporting the traveling preachers. Those who are trying to minister God's word. He goes, we're not to house them. I'm not going to participate in this. I'm not going to be about this. And what else does he do? He forbids those who desire to do so, even if you wanted to. Somebody like Gaius was supporting uh, a traveling preachers. This diatrophies would say, no, 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 I'm not going to let you do this. And if you do, what, what does he do? He puts them out of the church. What in the world? The Bible is so real, it deals with real life issues. If you're wondering about if the Bible is relevant for today in the local church that you bet it is. The Apostle John doesn't hold any punches back here. He writes about a very difficult situation. Who's Diotrephes? He's a spiritual bully. That's exactly who he is. He's a bully. And look what it says. He loves to be first. That's where John is identifying the heart issue. He's trying to biblical counsel Diotrephes. What is the heart issue? Well, he loves to be first. This is the issue with bullies, is it not? They love to be prominent. Could be a man, could be a woman, could be young or old. Bullies want to be first. Bullies want to be lifted up. And bullies are quite insecure. Bullies will see other people as a threat to their own authority and to their own ability to be lifted up. I mean, think about it. No traveling preachers, even those who've gone out for the sake of the name, those who are faithful to the truth. No, 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 we're not going to support them. Why is that? Well, a bully will see them as a threat. You see that? And look what he, he calls John, the apostle John, unthinkable things with nonsense, gossiping about John. He's trying to tear down the apostle John, the last remaining apostle. Threats to his own authority, diatrophies. And then what does he do? He doesn't let the church support the traveling preachers. He even throws them out of the church. That's a bully. Bullies come in many sizes and shapes, do they not? I'm learning about this. I'm hearing as I talk to parents who are at schools, it's horrible what I hear. There's physical bullying where people get beat up, people get jumped. There's verbal bullying where people are called names and made fun of in front of others, just like diatrophy, gossiping, speaking nonsense. There's cyberbullying where on social media and texting where you could call out all kinds of people. You could claim all kinds of things. You could slander all kinds of people with minimal to no recourse. There's even relational bullying where you gather your friends and go, you know what, let, let, let's not talk to them anymore. Let, let's not invite them out to our outings anymore. I mean, this happens. This happens. All shapes and sizes. Some are overt. Some are more covert. Bullying is a real part of our life, unfortunately. And bullies are like rodents and pests in the garden. They, they eat the fruit. They eat the, the vegetation. They eat the, the vine. And they, they cause a problem. They get in the way from good organic growth. They feed off the fruit. They feed off the productive parts of a church, productive parts of a school. This is what they do. 
Now, if you're a parent in this situation, what's the right thing to do if you find out your child is being bullied? Particularly physically, right? I mean, particularly physically, what would you do? Of course you do something about it, right? Minimally, you go talk to the teacher. Minimally, you go talk to the the principals. Minimally, you'll demand something that be done. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you? Just just a simple question. Why would what compel you to do this? And this is important because as we investigate why you would do this, you could see the Father's heart in it. Because they're your blood. They're your own. It's exactly why you do it. It's very simple. And in verse 10 at the beginning, what does John do? For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does. The Apostle John is saying, I'm coming now, and I'm going to handle this. And think about it now, church. Who is being assaulted here? Who was commended for housing traveling preachers? It was Gaius himself. Gaius was commended for housing and caring and supporting for the traveling preachers that came through his town. Don't you think there was some opposition between Gaius and Diotrephes? You bet. The apostle John is being like a father to him and says, I'm coming, I'm coming. And now that, I'm aware of what's taking place in the church. I know about this Diotrephes and I'm going to call him out. It's a very serious thing. Why? Because he loves Gaius. John sees Gaius as a spiritual son. That's why he's doing it. They share the same spiritual blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? In the church, how do we apply this to us today? The church needs to be the safest place for any any of us. I don't know what the home life is like necessarily. I don't know what the school life is like. I don't know what the workplace is like. I know I know we all got our challenges, but whenever we come together on the Lord's day, whenever we come together for church events, this needs to be the safest place for every single one of us here. We need to be able to confront any of the diatrophies of our church. This is a normal thing that takes place. Who are the diatrophies of our church? Do you display any of these characteristics? If so, the spiritual fathers of our church must step up and address these things. Why? To protect the church family, but also to call them to soundness, to call them to repent if they are acting like a diatrophies. Now, one of the enemies now, listen, this is a big thing that I've observed at times, it could be a peacekeeping culture where at all costs, we're just going to maintain peace. Now, we want to be peacemakers. We understand that. But peacekeeping at all costs is a sinful thing. This is where you turn a blind eye. This is where you don't want to say anything. This is where you notice it, but you look the other way. This is where you see the if he's coming, and you go the other way. This is where you, you hear things, but you goes, okay, I'll just pray about it. Let me pray about it. That's a good thing. But spiritual fathers, we must be able to overcome this peacekeeping mindset and address the issue. John is the apostle of love. Next to Christ, there may be no one who loved more than John. And here he is addressing diatrophies. The church needs to be a safe place for Every believer, but also guests and seekers that come to, who want to learn more about God. 
how we love one another, they'll know if, if you're his disciple. The Lord says, What does it mean to invest in the kingdom? It means that you confront the diatrophies of the church. It's an expensive venture too, let me tell you that much. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you relationships. It's going to cost you mind time. It's going to be very emotional. You could be even accused of many things like diatrophies who speaks nonsense to John. It's going to be expensive. This is clearly a much more difficult road. But this is clearly Christian though. This is clearly Christ-like. This is clearly what the Father would want from you and me. Okay, so what's on the Father's heart? Spiritual protection. Spiritual protection. And as I, as I preached on this, who comes to mind right now? Does a name or a face come to mind right now? Maybe he or she's not in the church. Maybe he or she's at school or at, at home even. Who comes to mind right now? Pray about it. Speak the truth in love. That's what Matthew 18 says. Speak the truth in love. Okay? Whoever that person is, write them down in your mind, write them down in your, in your phone or your piece of paper that you're writing on and do something about it. Because you care about the church, you care about your families, but you also care for that diatrophies too, that they will repent and be sound in their faith as well. This is the heart of the Father. Let's go to point number two here. The Father's heart is about spiritual affirmation. Spiritual affirmation. Let's look at verse 11 and 12. Beloved, that's Gaius, that's all of us. We're beloved. Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. John is saying, imitate the role models of our church. Don't copy diatrophies. Copy the role models of our church. That makes perfect sense, right? Parents, we, t- we say that to our kids, right? Hang out with good people. Make good friends, right? This is all part of it. In- we understand how important influence is. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So imitating one another is not necessarily worshiping others. It's just imitating their qualities, the grace that God has uh, produced in their lives. Verse 12. Let's learn about one of the role models here. His name is Demetrius. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. So everyone speaks highly of Demetrius. They're known in the church. They're known in the, in the greater church as well. And it says there, even a te- the truth testifies about them. That means that their life is consistent with the gospel. They look like Jesus Christ. They may not be perfectly like Christ. He may not be perfectly like Christ, but he looks like Jesus Christ. He resembles him. Let's keep going. What does John do? And we add our testimony. John is saying, I lay my hands on Demetrius as well. As a spiritual father, I lay my hands on Demetrius as well. And you know that our testimony is true. things, And you know that you could trust what I have to say. You see, in verse 12... In the NASB, this word testimony is used three times. Testimony from everyone. All right? And the truth. Testimony. Our testimony. You know that our testimony is your testimony, testimony, testimony. This is the word for witness. That means that Demetrius was a well-known person in the church. This wasn't some kind of a mysterious figure where, yeah, just take my word for it. He's worth supporting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Take my word for it. Just copy his uh, example. No, 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 no. He was well known. 
And, and, and as I think about our missionaries that we're sending out, that's what came to mind. I mean, P&P have been known throughout this church. They've been involved in ministries. Brother was an intern for us. We talked a lot, didn't we? As we were able to see him up close and personal, how he handled things, how he handled encouragement, how he handled even some coaching points. I mean, they've been involved in music, leading music. They've been involved in biblical counseling. They've been involved with life groups and branches. They've been involved with some of our missionary mentors that we have here. We know them. I know them. You know them. I mean, maybe everyone doesn't know them the same, but the church knows them. So when we lay hands on them, when we laid hands on them earlier, that's with absolute confidence. And you know what we're thinking as well. These are the type of role models that we want to lay hands on. These are the type of men and women we want to send out in a worthy manner. These are the ones that we want to say, hey, follow their example. Okay, of course nobody's perfect. They've been very transparent as well. Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. But there's a consistency where the truth, the gospel even testifies to them. These are the members that we want to point to and say, hey, this is who we would like to be like in these areas. I want to miss you guys. And the Apostle John takes time to lay hands on Demetrius. These affirmations are meaningful. This is more than just a ceremony of laying hands on our missionaries. This is more than just a formality of John saying, yes, I affirm him as well. Demetrius we're speaking on. It's more than that. This is a heart thing. This is where it leaves your heart full as a son or a daughter. What? The Apostle John believes in me? The Apostle John thinks I'm worthy to be supported? I mean, what does that do for Demetrius? That's just his man on fire. That's what it does. Even non-believers understand this. I debated if I should share this, but I'll share this. This is a personal story of mine where I remember, for me, my vision quest as a, as a non-believer was to play football at the University of Southern California. You know this. And I walked on. That means I volunteered. I begged to be on my first year in 1997 as a junior after transferring from my junior college. And then the very next year, 1998, the coach gives me a scholarship. I mean, a full scholarship. I won the world. Well, I, I've said this, I shared this story to some people before, but I don't know if I ever shared it right here. Back then, we didn't have cell phones. You know, we had a pager or something. And I didn't want to call my parents anyway. So after practice, after study hall, I got in my Nissan pickup and left campus and went to Arcadia, back to Arcadia. I drove in. My mom and dad were kind of surprised to see me. And they said, what's going on? My dad just got back home from work. I don't know if he was even showered or bathed yet. He was getting ready to eat. And I said, I got something to tell you. It's about 7 o'clock at night. And guess what? I said, they gave me a scholarship today. I mean, the team was going crazy. The coach was all fired up. And that was years of conversation, mind you, in the hearts of my parents. Thinking, like, how's this ever going to work out, right? I mean, as good Asian parents would do, they say, how's this ever going to work out? But they supported me. 
And what came out of my father's mouth, who wasn't a believer at the time, has set me in a different trajectory at that moment. He just did something simple. He looked at me, he put his, whatever he had in his hand down, looked me in the eye and just said, Haruki, that's my name. You made me believe in the impossible. And at that point on, he treated me differently. He treated me like a man. He trusted my decisions. He trusted me and my advice that if whatever he would ask me, there was a transfer of power. There was a transfer of some kind of authority that took place that night. And that just set me in a different way. And this is why John affirms Demetrius. When you know spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers are believing in you, not that they, that they believe that you're perfect, they believe in your, the trajectory of who you are, that sets Demetrius and Gaius in a whole different level. It spawns them to become spiritual men and spiritual women. You may be th- sitting there right now, well, that's great, Pastor, but we're not like that at our home. We, you know, that's just culturally, we just don't say things like that. Now, keep in mind, my dad's an Issei, okay? If that means anything, he's an immigrant from Japan. So th- that just was, should show you a little, some, a little cultural context, sir. I get that. You may be thinking as a parent, like, yeah, my kids, they know how I feel about them. I show them by how I provide for them. Yeah, it's true. But the problem with that is this, you keep them guessing. You're just leaving it up to what they think is in your mind or your heart for them. I think this is a spiritual uh, discipline here where we affirm one another. God makes it crystal clear here how John is. Paul continues to to spiritually affirm those in his letters. The Father himself says to Jesus as he's baptized, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. At the transfiguration, he, he speaks, the Father speaks, you are my beloved, this is my beloved son whom I love deeply. Listen to him he, as he talks, as the Father speaks to the disciples. Our Father, our Heavenly Father is a very affirming Father. So if, if culture is holding you back, that's not a Jesus culture. That's a different type of culture that we're called to take it to the next step. The next generation is counting on you to do this. If you refuse to do this, know that this is something else in you. There's something else. And, and I'm telling you, I'm a broken man, raised by a broken father, broken mother. But there's something chemically and emotionally that takes place in my heart when I hear those words. That might be one of the highlights of my life right there. That's it. In a private area, just my mom, my dad, myself, in the kitchen. No, not in front of the television, not in front of anybody, but just us. That means more to me than a lot of other affirmations, other things that's come my way. I go to the grave knowing that one is secure. My dad trusts me. My dad trusts me. So how are we, church, at affirming our spiritual sons and daughters? Do we take the time to tell them, I could see the evidence of God's grace in your life. I could see that you're growing more patient 
We've been praying about this. I see you growing more patient. I know you asked me to pray for you, for you to love God's word more. I see you loving God's word more. I see you, how you shared this hurt that someone did to you and even maybe the bully in the church. And I see how the Lord's moving your heart to forgive this person. Have you taken the time to spiritually affirm your spiritual sons and daughters? It could be your own child, physical child, but it could be someone you've just been meeting with. It could just be someone that you just saw today. Someone you respect, but you haven't actually taken the time to tell them, I admire this in you. And I know it's by God's grace that God is working in you. How about the other side of it? Have you taken time to affirm your spiritual fathers and mothers? It's one thing to say, all right, man, I see this in you. It's another thing to look up and say, thank you. I know it's by God's grace that God put you in my life. I know you've been praying for me, auntie, and I know that that's been strengthening me. Thank you for praying. Thank you for taking the time and stepping in the spiritual gap for me because I don't have this type of natural influence in my life. Thank you for taking the time outside of your own family to meet with me, to pray for me, to teach me what the word of God says. And I know you're not an expert, but you're showing me what you know. That means a ton. I mean, that's that also means a lot. The other day I was just sitting watching the angel game with my dad, just said, thank you for being a great dad. Right? I mean, that's that's just normal. But the issue is that it might not be normal for some in here. I understand that. But look how the Lord is. This is in the Father's heart for us to affirm one another. Affirm one another. And really to give glory to God to identify the, the, the evidence of grace in their lives, right? It's not necessary to pump them up, but just to give glory to God, which would encourage your sons and, and your daughters and your fathers and mothers of our church. So the heart of the father is that he cares about spiritual protection. The heart of the father is that he cares about spiritual affirmation. And thirdly, or, or a short point, the Father's heart is about spiritual relationships. Let me just read the last portion of this letter. And I had many things to write to you, John writes, but I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. John is saying, I'm not going to send you an email. I'm not going to send you a text. I'm not going to settle for Zoom or FaceTime. I don't want to. I want to see you face to face. I know a lot of groups have been meeting on Zoom for quite some time, and I know a lot of people are hungering for that face to face interaction, face to face fellowship. It's time. <laughs> it's been time, right? It's time. It's time. It's good for what we had back then, but it's time. It's time. We do a lot of other face-to-face -face things and it's time to focus in on our spiritual sons and spiritual fathers, spiritual daughters and spiritual mothers, right? This is what we're talking about. And what, what, what John is saying, communicating as an apostle, as a father, but that he's communicating the father's heart, God's heart, that he cares about relationships 
real abiding relationships. And this is where you get to affirm one another. This is where you fertilize and, and, and pour water onto others to grow each other, right? I mean, we talked about the investing in kingdom is like analogous to the to cultivating a garden. You fertilize, you give plant food to one another when you encourage and affirm one another. The leaders of our church, some of our leaders of our church, pastors and some lay leaders, we've been going through this book called The Trellis in the Vine. The Trellis in the Vine. Written by Colin Marshall and Tony Payne. And the first chapter deals with a metaphor about the trellis and the vine. The trellis being programs, organization, structure, right? The trellis is the wooden or metal structure or plastic structure that keeps the vine growing in the, and, and has it properly spaced out. The problem is that in the church, or even in our lives, we may just be trellis builders and focus in on programs and focus in on organization and structure, and we neglect the vine. The vine is the issue. The vine is the organic growth. The vine is discipleship. The vine is what matters. Of course, you need both. But the vine is where we're focused on developing the vine here at Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley. That's why discipleship is coined as committing to intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. And I was super encouraged to be at a, a birthday party last night, and um, Brother Alan Tanaka was just sharing his thoughts, and it was so clear how much the branch that he's been a part of, led by the Chans, had been a, such a huge part for he and Sandy. And... Um, and there, he, he described how they were there for him during a difficult time. His brother's been going through a lot of physical issues. And, but also he mentioned also, it wasn't just a physical comfort that he received, but he talked about his journey on the way to Christ, you know, his, his walk with Christ. And undoubtedly, there are spiritual conversations. There are spiritual fathers and mothers and sons that he's able to receive from and, and invest into. And that's what's encouraging right now. To hear of testimonies like this, we'll work on giving more testimonies of what the Lord is doing at our church, you know, just to encourage one another. But that was a huge testimony for me to hear. That was a very much a huge source of encouragement. And so spiritual relationships, because it, it isn't necessarily about connecting at my own life stage issue. It isn't talking about like, can I relate to someone at a kind of a hobby level or sports level? This is talking about a spiritual connection. And we are connected through Jesus Christ, the vine. It's about relationships. And this is the Lord's Supper today. This is Communion Sunday. And the Lord's Table, is, it's about family time. It's about family time. This is about an affirmation before under Christ and to one another that we are part of the same family, their own relationship with one another. And on verse 14, it says, greet the friends by name. Well, Jesus Christ in John 10 says, I call my sheep by name. If that's not exciting to you, you need to wake up, okay? Jesus Christ knows you by name if you're in the family of God. And so he knows your story. He knows your life. He's a relational God. My question to everyone here is, does God know your name? As you're sitting here, Maybe you've been here for years, or maybe you're a guest today. Does Jesus Christ know your name? Has he called your name? 
And have you answered the call? The fact that you're here, you're going to hear about Jesus Christ right now, how you could be part of the family. Have you repented of your sins? I mean, have you turned away from your sins and turned to Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay the price for your sins? All sinners will be judged apart from God forever. So if you're wondering right now, I'm not sure if I did that. You probably haven't done that, okay? How do you know that you're known by God, that you believe that Jesus Christ rose to life and that you've given your life to him, you live for him, you think about him and you want to live for his name? That's when you know that you've given your life to Christ. That's when you know that Jesus knows your name. So if you, we're going to take communion right now and I would ask this, that if you're not quite sure if you're in the kingdom or the family of God by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd ask you to refrain it's better that you don't take communion right now. This is for Christians only, for the family of God. This is like a family meal time. Parents, if you're not sure about your children, young or old, I would say it's better to be safe. It doesn't hurt them to not take communion. You don't want to encourage anything that the Bible says not to do. And the Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 11 to take communion in a worthy manner. We're going to be able to take communion in a worthy manner. What this means, church family, is this. A, that you're a Christian. You're genuinely a family member of God because you trusted your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But also, before coming to the table, let's repent of any of our sins that we've been struggling with right now. The Christian life is a life of Fighting temptation and sin. That's, that's what it is for the rest of our lives until we see Christ someday. So if there's any sin that you've been struggling with, any unforgiveness, perhaps you are diatrophies in some levels at home. Repent. We need to repent of your sins. I'm going to lead us in a time of confession. I'm going to pray and, and corporately confess sins of our church. But also I'm going to give some time for us to do business with God right now. I'll leave some quiet time and then I'll close off the prayer with an amen. And then when the music starts, if when your heart is right, come on up, receive the elements, walk back to your seats and we'll, I'll guide us in taking communion together. Okay? So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we could call you Father. Thank you that you discipline us whenever we're in sin so that you could draw us back to, to you. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you for this word out of John, third John, how you care about our spiritual protection. And Lord, I thank you that you're able to affirm us in, by what you say about who we are in the Bible. Thank you that we are in relationship with you, Lord. Father, I pray for forgiveness for all of us who desire to be first, who love to be first like diatrophies, who fantasize about being lifted up, Lord, even above your son, who fantasize about having a place of prominence just for prominence sake. Father, I pray for forgiveness for the bullies of our church, Lord. I pray, Lord, that their hearts will be softened, they will repent of their sins. Father, I also pray for 
forgiveness and ask for your forgiveness for if any of us have been peacekeeping at all costs, Lord, ignoring diatrophies, ignoring sin, ignoring issues, Lord, because we do we want to maintain peace. Father, forgive us of these things, Lord. Forgive us when other things get in the way from focusing on our relationship with you, Lord Jesus. We know at the end of the day, it's about loving you and loving your people. So, Father, forgive us for these things as a church. Forgive us, Lord, when we've been focusing so much on the trellis and not focusing on the vine enough, the relationship with you and one another. Help us to get our eyes on you, Lord. Help us not to admire fancy trellises and impressive structures, Lord. Help us to focus in on relationship with you and one another. Lord, right now I pray that you would bring things to mind in our hearts that we need to repent of. Church, it's your time to pray to the Lord now, whatever comes to mind. Father, I pray that we will take communion in a worthy manner. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Please unify your church family here at Evergreen Baptist Church of St. Gabriel Valley. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.